Welcome to the Israel Conversation by Massah Leadership and Impact Center, the content engine behind Massah Israel Journey. We bring contemporary, challenging, and compelling Israel issues to light in ways that help us stay connected with what's really going on on the ground. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co-host... Liel Zahavi Asa. How's it going, Liel? It's all right. How are you, Mike? All right. I hope you're, you're, you're feeling a little under the weather, but... Uh... We'll do we'll do a shorter episode because we've been doing super long episodes for some reason. So let's keep it uh, try it as a tight half hour. We're also here with Kalev Bendor. How you doing, Kalev? Great to see you both. I'm doing well. You too. So our topic today, because of this conference uh, in Steboker, is what would Ben Gurion think about an a regional conference in Steboker? And Kalev, can you just sort of explain to listeners what's going on today there? It's, yeah, it's, so it's it's, it's a really shocking thing that we're starting to take. It feels like it should feel normal, but it is not normal. It's pretty significant. I mean, I feel like over the last few years, the the word historic has has gotten thrown around a lot in different things. I don't really mm. like using the word historic, but it, it, it's pretty significant. We've got um, we've got the leaders of the UAE, of Bahrain, uh, the Egyptian foreign minister, uh, and and Morocco as well all meeting in Israel, Secretary of State, uh, U.S. Secretary of State Blinken as well, meeting with um, Israeli Foreign Minister Yair Lapid in Steboke, um, Ben-Gurion's um, home and and uh, grave. And it's it's really interesting. I mean, I was reading just a little bit this morning in the commentary. So, so Nahum Barneo, who's one of Israel's main commentators, said that kings and presidents convened on Israeli soil in public, only at funerals. First Rabin, mm-hmm. then Perez. We we've had, we have had meetings like this before. We had meetings in Sham al-Sheikh. We had meetings in Annapolis. But we haven't had meetings like this in Israel, where Israel is the host. And the other thing he says is that normally those very big multilateral regional conferences have been very much driven and organized by the U.S., this time the U.S. is a guest. Blinken's a guest. Mm-hmm. Uh, in many ways, the meeting, I think, is being driven by the regional players rather than America. So I think it's very significant and, and a couple of changes from normal. And it's, it's pretty amazing, to be honest. I, it, it really would have been unthinkable five years ago, three years ago. Certainly just, before just, September 2020, yeah. But I think this, yeah, I mean, just, this also links in without going off on too much of a tangent, I think that you know the, the right wing always used to say that the region doesn't care about the Palestinians at all, and we can do whatever mm-hmm. we can do whatever we want. And the left and the center left used to say we, we the only way we can move out our ties from being covert into being more public with, with, with the region is by making significant progress with the Palestinians. Mm-hmm. And I think what the Abraham Accords did, and we certainly would not have had this without the Abraham Accords, is that on the one hand, there wasn't significant progress with the Palestinians at all, yet the UAE and Bahrain and Morocco were willing to sign on. So that kind of undermined the centre-left argument that if you want these things to be public, we need to make progress. Um, but the right, who were pushing annexation and who were saying the region doesn't care, etc., that that was also undermined by the Abraham Accords. So I think the Abraham Accords are very much the cornerstone upon which all of this gets 
gets developed. And I also think it's interesting in relation to the different arguments between the right and the centre and the left over to what extent is the Palestinian issue intimately connected with our ties with the region. And I think the, the answer is it's arguable. It could be argued either way. Relevant, but not central. Right. Listen, the Palestinians were not invited to Sleboka. They probably would mm-hmm. not have come anyway, but they're not going away. They're still here, despite despite the warm ties. So, um, but yes, it, absolutely. And, and those regional players still have what to say about it. They still are explicitly telling Israel, we're watching how this is handled and we want it yeah, resolved. Yeah, well. and Jordan did not send a representative. Instead, uh, the Jordanians were in Ramallah with, with, with Mahmoud Abbas. Uh, the Saudis are still on the fence. It does. It, it's you know. I don't. I don't want to put a damper on things because because what's happening today is, is is amazing and very significant. And there is reporting that they're sort of secretly they have representatives sort of undercover. Their interests are being represented for them in Stabokir, the Saudis. It wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, almost we know almost for certain that Netanyahu met Mohammed bin Salman, the Crown Prince. Um, when, when Netanyahu was still prime minister. Uh, they may even have spoken about the Pegasus spyware stuff, um, mm-hmm. amongst other things. But no, the Saudis, listen, the, the Palestinian issue... They're still doing the old dance. How did, how did you secret, phrase it? Uh, it's, it's there, but not central. Um, yeah. Relevant, but not central. Relevant, yeah. but not central. Yeah, I think that's fair. But what we're seeing today, you're right, is it was absolutely would have been unimaginable, I'd say, any time before September 2020. And and that's why I I, I I sort of wanted to frame it as, since Stay Boker is most famously the home of Ben Gurion, the the resting place of Ben Gurion, the Ben Gurion's post political, if if Ben Gurion was ever really post political, but his 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 post political career Zionist stamp of building down into the Negev, and and so this Stay Boker which is this strange little outpost in the desert. What would he think about this conference? What would he think about is, you know, th- what, what this says about Israel today? Matt, producer Matt pointed out also, what would Ben-Gurion think about a, a gorgeous luxury hotel in State Boker as, as a uh, sort of Spartan lifestyle socialist? I do, I, I think Matt has a really good point. I, I don't think Ben-Gurion wanted I, I was taking a look at the hotel. Uh, I looked it up online. You know, like you can book hotels, so they show you pictures of the hotel. It's gorgeous. It's got it's, and it's got this very Middle Easterny design of like it, it's it's supposed to look like luxury. I don't know. Desert huts. lodging. Yes, desert lodging. Yes, with like sort of uh, like this. The, 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 there's all this wood and and and, and poles. I don't know. It, it, take a look at it. It's stunning, you know, and then you see like that's the design, the the artistic design of the gorgeous spa with, you know, Olympic swimming pools and all these delicious meals. So I, I do think that in terms of the commercialism and comfort, I mean, Matt was Matt wasn't joking when he when he brought that up to me. I, I think he's right. I do think Ben Green would be uh, somewhat disappointed in the culture of consumerism that you can see today. You can't host this conference if it's not at a luxury hotel. And this luxury hotel is right there in State Boker. I I do think it's worth noting that the consumerist culture that Israel has built, certainly since the 90s, 
that makes a lot of English speakers feel much more comfortable in Israel because it's a lifestyle we're much more used to where the toilet paper is made as toilet paper and not like recycled newsprint that you can like read little fragments as you <laughs> I mean it's really the 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 consumer level of life the materialistic life in Israel has improved so much don't you guys think Ben Gurion would be not I, I, maybe offended is too strong a word maybe not for Ben Gurion but don't don't you think he would be he and the founders would be somewhat I guess disappointed in in the what they would see as an incredibly luxurious lifestyle well, just to take a step back for a second, the the conference happened here for what what I mean, what was the intention to do La it Pete specifically it. there? No, no, the location, the choice of location. Um, oh, I don't know to have it to have it there. Instead. I think La Pete okay? came up with the idea. Jerusalem, I don't think the leaders they wouldn't have come. Um, so then you've you know what, what are your options? I guess you've got Tel Aviv, you've got Elat. Um, so I, I think I think Ben Gurion Ben Gurion came up. I think Lapid came up with the idea, and uh, I guess it works as well. I guess it works. And I mean, there I certainly is a make political a resonance between yeah. capitalism as opposed to socialism and consumerism. Uh, I yeah. agree yeah. with you. I agree with you about the consumerism in Israeli society. I think you know, we shouldn't be too anachronistic about this. It, when, when did Ben Gurion die? In, in, 60, in 69, 70? Over 50 years ago. Countries change. I don't think it's, I think it's unrealistic to expect they wouldn't change. And I think if we had classic socialist state as founders imagined, I think a lot of things we have here that have been very successful, we, we, we may not have. Um, that's different in my mind to consumerism, which yeah, I think we've I think we've adopted from America. In I don't know if that I mean I guess we could all maybe put a different time, maybe beginning in the nineties, maybe later, and that it would probably disappoint the founders. Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah. it's not just. Go ahead, Leo. No, I was going to say on one hand, I, I also very much agree, and also. I can also see Ben Gurion very much uh, in favor of the purpose of this conference, mm-hmm. and right, despite the fact that you know we're not living in an entirely socialist state um, as he probably would have envisioned and hoped for. Um, but the purpose of this, I can definitely see him being very happy about and and uh, excited that we're bringing our all our neighbors into our into one space and convening together. That's very, that's like we were saying, like incredible. Something that couldn't have been imagined before. And so I guess I wonder where his conflict would have been. I wonder if we could, you know, ask him now, despite the fact that your socialist values really aren't, don't uphold in the same way, um, what we're doing in making, making peace and making friends with our neighbors, does that sort of, does that, does that come in, in favor of, I don't know. Yeah. I think the other thing that would really surprise Ben Gurion, you know, which we have we haven't touched on what why the conference. I think the conference is, is primarily driven by fears of a country that Ben Gurion saw as an integral part of Israel's national security doctrine. As in what what we've seen, what we had in in the 50s and 60s was what was known as what was known as the periphery doctrine. And it was based on this idea that the countries immediately surrounding Israel, Israel's neighbors, 
Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, Iraq to a certain extent are our enemies and they're not going to stop being our enemies anytime soon. But the countries on the periphery, Turkey, Iran, to a certain, to a certain extent Ethiopia, um, we do have a possibility of, of getting close ties with them. And therefore, for several decades, Israel really prioritized strengthening relations with those countries. And with Iran, that ended with the Islamic Revolution in 1979. And with Turkey, mm-hmm. I mean, one of the times I was on, we, we, we talked about Herzl going to Turkey. It, it's had its ups and downs, but it certainly wasn't as close mm-hmm. as it once was. And what we've really seen recently is in some ways the inversion of the periphery doctrine, that if in the past our close neighbours were the enemies and our further off neighbours were potentially our friends, now Iran is the main enemy and Egypt, there's peace with Jordan, there's peace with now the UAE and Morocco, there's normalisation with. So I really think if you would have told Ben-Gurion that there's going to be a conference with our Mm. near neighbours and the Gulf states because we are worried about Iran, he would have been completely shocked by that as well. But a, a lot of things mm-hmm. happen in, in 50, 60 years. We shouldn't be that surprised, but that would, the, 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 who our friends are and who our enemies are would absolutely have surprised Ben-Gurion. Just to read, by the way, from the Declaration of Independence, which he obviously read out loud on back on May 14th, 1948, I think it's a relevant paragraph. We extend our hand to all neighboring states and their peoples, in an offering of peace and good neighborliness, and appeal to them to establish bonds of cooperation and mutual help with the sovereign Jewish people settled in its own land. The state of Israel is prepared to do its share in a common effort for the advancement of the entire Middle East. And, and, and I think there, in the, uh, the way I read that paragraph of the Declaration of Independence, I read it as Ben-Gurion trying to present us as one of the Semitic tribes of the Middle East, that can work together with all the other tribes. And so in a sense, this conference, I think very much is, and you know, obviously on May 14th, 1948, Ben-Gurion didn't really think that these six invading armies waiting at the border were going to take him up on it immediately. But I do think that the founders hoped and intended that that that, that offer would eventually be received and, and there would be this reciprocal relationship as and why shouldn't there be and and you know i i think the language of the abraham accords of you know the sons of isaac and the sons of ishmael of the of these semitic cousins living together and us as a native part of the of the region i do think it, at least is something that he would be i don't know i i think he would be really relieved to see i think he would be proud to see and i think he would be it's something that he would he he certainly hoped for, and so it, it is it is a sign of of a maturing region. I hope that this which it sound you know reading this three or four years ago, it just sounded like this crazy pie in the sky offer that Ben Gurion was making. And today, they're all getting together at State Bocare. It's just crazy, right? It really is wonderful. I think the other thing about the Abraham Accords is that they have also facilitated a, a further warming of relations with Egypt. Egypt's not part of the Abraham Accords. Egypt, in fact, we just right. had the four, we just had the just had the anniversary of the of the peace treaty with Egypt. For many years, it was a cold peace. Recently, based on uh, greater shared interests, it's become slightly warmer. But 
the Abraham Accords, you're right, Mike, the fact that they talk, the fact they were phrased in that way as these are children of Abraham and that mm-hmm. all the children of Abraham have origins in the region and are maybe even indigenous to the region, that is, that mm-hmm. is a further step than signing a cold peace with Egypt or even a warmer peace with Jordan. It's, 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 it's a further step than that. Um, and that in and of itself has then facilitated a closening of relationships with Egypt, I think you could argue. So, right. It, it's like recognizing Israel as locals. Yeah. Which, which, uh, I, going back to Ben Gurion, I wonder if that was one of, I wonder if he would, would have aspired to that. Even though, because in, in some ways, I mean, in many ways, he was so not Middle Eastern. He brought so much of the West, uh, to Israel and just him as in his life as an individual, he was pretty westernized. He's very um, biblical though. to being here. Right, right. But a but local, but local to the Middle East, I don't think he was. Biblical is different than being sort of culturally local to the Middle East. Yeah. I mean, and I think Yeah. No, I think this conference is is and the Abraham Accords is, in some ways is saying, okay, we are we're recognizing you Israel as local to the Middle East. I mean, he wasn't. Which maybe in the, couldn't have happened in Ben Gurion's time. I think you're right that he was obviously Westernized, influenced by certainly socialist thought. But but he he wasn't. Um, he he was a Turkish attorney. Like he he did train because he wanted to. He certainly wanted to adapt and become Middle Eastern. And you know he wasn't in the Canaanite fringe of the Zionist movement per se, of the you know the radical. Let's undo all of the Jewish diasporic parts of our identity and just he wasn't quite that radical you're right he did retain his but he but he did have this sense of uh of of an indigenous people returning home being very important to to the zionist mission and and to see it reflected back finally after so many years uh is very powerful although of course the reason the motivations as Kalev is pointing out, the sort of the Debbie Downer of it all, of the fears of uh, Iranian expanding. Ha- l- 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 Iran has been, the, the Houthis from Yemen have recently been hitting Saudi targets very hard, including mm-hmm. areas, you know, hitting hitting uh, major utilities like, like oil and water. Like, the, the Iranian proxies are doing real damage and punching really hard, possibly because they think Ukraine is a distraction. They can get away with it. I don't know. And we and we sorry, Mike, we, and we may have the removal yeah, ahead, of Kelly. the we may have the removal of the IRGC, the Revolutionary yep. Guards, from America's list. Of, so I'm I'm, sure, I'm certain that came. I'm sure everyone laid into Blinken uh, on that. That's so, why he's here to a certain extent, right? To take that hit, and and you know, and the and the working on the peace deal with Iran that is very contentious in this in this neighborhood, and he's sort of, I assume, smoothing the ruffled feathers of those concerned, if not really taking a beating from everyone saying, "What are you doing? Like you you guys have your interests from six thousand miles away, but we're the one here in easy rocket range," you know. So that that's also why I found it easy to believe that the Saudis were somehow being. We're, we're, we're mm. communicating through even this conference to Blinken that the region's very uncomfortable. And, and, and you know, what you were pointing out before, Kalev, that it's a not only a local initiative as opposed to an American initiative, it's the Israeli initiative. This was Lapid's 
baby, this state book care conference, is this growing sense in the region that America is just not a reliable, it's a necessary ally that in, 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 giving, in giving military aid to the Gulf states and to Israel and to Egypt, it's absolutely, America is the indispensable ally, but it's also not a super reliable ally. In some ways, that does reflect Ben Gurion's time, by the way. Yep. Say more. Amer- yeah, America became a reliable ally, really, in like around sixty-seven, post sixty-seven, even later. But before even then. later. No, yeah. I, I think I think after seventy-three, really, is when mm-hmm. Israel fought sixty-seven with French weapons. That, that mm. yeah, so that that that, that is true. Both, both of those points, I think, an integral part of Ben Gurion's national security doctrine was needing a close alliance with a superpower. So, as you said, for the first 20 years, that was France. And France the superpower, I'm not sure, but and later it was America. But this idea that we have to rely on ourselves, absolutely, that was also an integral part of Zionism, but we need closeness to a major power was always a cornerstone also of Ben-Gurion's, uh, Ben-Gurion's doctrine. And there's Blinken, which is such a ridiculous name. I feel bad for him. I hate saying it. It sounds like a, a reindeer. Uh, I'm sure he's a lovely fellow. I don't have, I'm not criticizing him. I just find it's a strange name. Um, again, it's so, it's so crazy how easily we adapt to new realities. And this just doesn't feel overwhelmingly shocking that the mm-hmm. UAE, Bahrain, Morocco, and Egypt have sent top-level foreign diplomats into into a hotel in Ben Gurion's neighborhood, meeting with Israel's top diplomat, a top American diplomat. It's just, and again, with all the difficulties that means in the region and all the reasons we should be concerned about Iran and its and its looming threats. I do think there's this moment where you could take a beat as Zionists and just, I don't know, I don't think fell is a very good Zionist word. I'm not sure exactly what the right word is. No, I don't think they, I don't think they've been to Yiddish words for some, for some reason. <laughs> Definitely not Ben-Gurion. Ben-Gurion was very anti-Yiddish. Maybe Schwitz. a little bit more Levi Eshkol, who was happier to slip in and out of Yiddish a little bit. But uh, but Ben Gurion felt that the Jewish state needed to be Hebrew, Hebrew, Hebrew. So I don't know exactly the right word for what we should be feeling today. Uh, pride, patriotism, whatever it is. Uh, you know, if you're religious, it can be appreciation to God. Whatever, whatever it is. But it is, I think, worth taking a beat and considering. You know, it. it uh, we always use that example of the. There's that overused metaphor of the frog in the boiling water and if you drop it in the pot it jumps out but if you raise it a degree at a minute you know so we always use that for like dangerous things like a pot in boiling water but here this abraham accords which shocked us at the beginning has been growing and growing Kalev, you've been here for a number of these occasions where we talked about it and so we're a little bit like i don't know the frog in the cozy spa bath in Stabokar that it keeps getting more and more comfortable and you don't realize the level of luxury you've achieved this is an astonishing accomplishment and whatever the outcome is the symbolic importance of it and the messaging of it and by the way the frustration to the palestinians which will hopefully 
make them reconsider their tactics and strategy to something more productive. Mm-hmm. I will say the other news thing that that I, that does give me concern are two. It looks like ISIS inspired terrorist attacks mm-hmm. in Israel, in Beersheba and Hadera. That's a cause of concern of not Palestinian related terrorism of like broader Middle East Islamic fundamentalist terrorism in Israel. That's odd. Yeah. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been quite a strange week and then for like right? sad. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah, shocking. Yeah. Just horrible. And you know, one time in Beersheba so you go, okay, well that was weird. But now there's another yeah. one in Hadera also seems to be a broader ISIS inspired act. I I don't think directed exactly, but connected from that worldview inspired uh within within Israel. Not a you know not a West Bank Palestinian, but Israeli Arabs who are somehow part of the ISIS world. It, it, there are, there are there are reasons also to take a step back and be concerned. But overall, I just want to again. Can you guys help me find the word for the emotion we should be feeling about Stay Boker? Inspired. Inspired. No, I think the, I think, Colleague, I think the pride swing. is is right, Mike. I think it's it's a, it's an appreciation of. Uh, significance. It's interesting. I'm not, I'm not sure. So I'm not sure we are like the frog because I'm not sure we are used to it yet. I'm not sure we are used to it. I, I still think it, uh, it it it's seen by Israelis as, as something very exciting. But again, the 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 underlying issues facing Israel in some ways, whether that's you know, I, I, I don't want to be Debbie Downer. Whether that is the Iranian nuclear project, which may well get. Uh, a boost if some sort of poor deal is signed, whether it's the ongoing lack of of um, of progress on on any sort of Palestinian issue that um, might threaten Israel as a Jewish and democratic state, whether it's the tens of thousands of missiles in the north the Hezbollah have, many of which are precision guided. These, this is these, you trying to not to, be sorry. These Donner. continue to be major issues, but we've also taken steps in terms of being accepted in the region as as legitimate as uh, I don't know whether we should go so far as to say indigenous, but but to have a legitimate place in the region as one of the children of Abraham, and that's huge, and that's something that I think the founders um, would would have dreamt about. Yeah, I'm gobsmacked. I'm I'm inspired. I'm proud. I'm what was the other word? I don't remember. But it's just amazing. And sometimes we we you know our nature is we 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 look for things to be concerned about, and we don't stop and appreciate that things can come out of seemingly nowhere, almost spontaneously, like the Abraham Accords, and just change things for the better. And there's a huge step in progress that we didn't see coming. So. It's nice to have something good to talk about as we pass Purim and head towards Pesach, this moment of, yes, it's for difficult things, but uh, we, we may be on a path to a brighter future, a better tomorrow in the region. So thank you guys for sharing that. And uh, uh, thank you, Ben Gurion, for helping set this all up. We appreciate that, even though... Hmm. Uh, thank you for choosing I, Stable Care to be buried in, so... Hundreds, yeah, of, nicely done. hundreds of groups a year can traipse down to the desert in order to see your Spartan house and your grave with a beautiful <laughs> view of the desert. 
and a lovely museum now. It's not just visiting the house now. It's a lovely little visitor center. Uh, make it, it's a must see stop in your trip to Israel. Although probably your, your not this wife week may have it. hated it, but um, it, it provided inspiration for generations. So did she hate I, it? I think she hated it. Yeah, I think she. I, I don't think she enjoyed a lot of things about. The I'm not sure she enjoyed him to... either, but that, that's probably a different topic. That's a, uh, that's a topic for a different day. All right. Well, thank you so much, guys. Have a good one. Have a good one. And uh, we don't have to end the Zoom, but I am going to stop the recording because it's the end of the episode. Bye-bye. Now that we're part of Masa, we decided to add a cool new segment to each episode. We're going to call the Masa Moment. There are so many people having amazing experiences here in Israel, and we just wanted you to feel part of it and know what's going on. So enjoy this week's Masa Moment. About a year ago, February 2021, I was finishing up five months of living off-grid on an ecological educational farm outside of Modin. It's funny how things work out sometimes. I couldn't have predicted the past few years, even if I really stretched my imagination. A year before that, I was in Bangkok, after fleeing Shenzhen, China, following the COVID-19 outbreak in Wuhan. (laughs) That saying about making plans and God laughing definitely applies here. I had this dream of teaching English abroad and traveling Asia, but instead, I found myself searching for a new dream to explore a passion I didn't even know I had. I wanted to try something new, live on a farm, reconnect with the land that used to be my home, and learn a new way of living that promotes unity with the planet. On the farm, I lived and breathed sustainability, permaculture, and community. Not only did I study theories in the classroom, I had the opportunity to put my money where my mouth is, struggle through freezing cold nights and blistering days, eat nothing but lentils and trina, and come away with a lifetime of curiosity and questions of how to integrate this way of life into the real world. Here I am now, February 2022, still in Israel, living in Jerusalem and working with young adults doing informal education. Sometimes I think that my experience on Chavav Adam was a fever dream. But then again, I couldn't have dreamed that up, even if I wanted to. Masa Israel Journey is dedicated to shaping a promising future for the young Jewish individual, the global Jewish community, and the connection to the state of Israel. Masa offers life-transforming, long-term opportunities in Israel that allows fellows to create their own future. Check out MasaIsrael.org for more info.